Good morning. My name is Terry Evans. I'm an elder here at First Pres, and I have the privilege of sharing today's scripture reading with you. Today's scripture is from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. These are Jesus' words to his disciples. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Terry. Good morning. How's everybody doing? You guys ready to have some fun? Good. My name is Daniel. I am one of the pastors here, and I am excited to be able to continue this series uh, that we started two weeks ago on the Holy Spirit. Um, I just returned from a crazy two-week trip in Asia I'm going to tell you some stories this morning about that time. But here's the deal. I tend to get excited about the stories. And so if I'm ever telling a story and there's not a picture behind me, I'm not supposed to be telling that story. So that's your cue to throw something at me and tell me to get on with the message. Okay? Is that good? You guys willing to do that? Okay, good. Um, before we dive in and, and just kind of unpack this passage uh, that Terry read for us, we are going to do a prayer of illumination. Uh, you may recall every week we've been lighting this candle uh, just as a reminder of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's do that now as we remind ourselves that he is with us this morning and all day, every day. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today as we walk through this passage and, and learn what we can about who you are. As we dig into the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we pray, Lord, that you would illuminate our hearts to see you in a fresh way today. We also pray, God, that you would illuminate our hearts to see ourselves in a fresh way because of what you've done for us. And so, Lord, we invite you in this time to work in us, to work through us, as we remind ourselves that you are in us and for us and always with us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, how many of you have ever had a chance to travel to Southeast Asia? Okay, a few of us. If you've been there, chances are you've seen uh, some of these spirit houses. They have these spirit houses everywhere, and they serve different functions and different purposes. For some folks, they'll set up a spirit house in front of their business because they believe that the spirits will bring in business and help them be wealthy. Uh, others will set up spirit houses like this, but smaller in their homes, and they're trying to make space for their ancestors who have died to come and continue dwelling with them. And, and others uh, put food and water out in these spirit houses every day because they're, they're so aware of, of the presence of spiritual powers that work in this world that they want to keep the spirits happy so they feed them and water them in hopes that the spirits won't afflict them. They live under an incredible amount of fear that these spirits are going to cause harm and destruction in their life if they don't appease them. 
Uh, the, the primary religion in this area of the world is Buddhist, but they're very into ancestor worship and spiritism, uh, like I've said. And so I was, while I was there, I just wanted to tell them about the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad that we're doing this series because there is a spirit who is spirit over all spirits, who is sovereign and in control. Not a spirit that causes fear, but a spirit that brings peace, a spirit that brings power. In fact, the word of God says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. That's the spirit that they need at work in their hearts and lives. And I kept thinking, how do I convince them? How do I tell them that there's another way? And I remembered the passage that I'm preaching on this morning and was grateful that it's not my job to convince them, right? It's the spirit's job. As we read in this passage, the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And it's not up to me. All that the Spirit asks of us is that we are willing and open conduits so that he can flow into us and do his work in us and flow out of us and do his work through us. Our job is just to be a conduit of what the Spirit wants to do in us. So today we're going to look at the role and the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life. A very small segment of it. There's so much. We probably won't even scratch the surface uh, in this eight-week series. But we're going to give it a good shot this morning. Are you ready? All right, so while we were in Cambodia, uh, we met this guy named Sim Sun. And I want to tell you the story, uh, the purpose of the trip, by the way. I went to scout out uh, organizations that hopefully as a church we can partner with, uh, hopefully to send teams to and work with. And I think out of the, the two-week um, tour, uh, four countries, six organizations, I think two of them hold a lot of potential for us as a church to partner with, maybe three. Uh, so really excited to see how God leads us. Um, but this guy here had two buddies from Steamboat that traveled with me. Uh, see him sign uh, that blue arrow pointing down? It's the Holy Spirit, okay, pointing at CM Sign. I want to tell you uh, what happened, but before I do, I need to explain a theological concept uh, that I think you'll appreciate. There's this um, uh, theological doctrine called foreknown effectual persuasion. Okay, foreknown effectual persuasion. How many of you have ever wondered how God's sovereignty uh, intersects with man's free will? Right? God is clearly sovereign. As, as men and women, uh, we have free will. How do those work together? I think one of the explanations is this, this uh, idea, this concept, that God will lead us through ways that he knows will be effective for us. Let me, let me break it down like this. Okay, let's say that the Lord has a divine appointment for me at Chick-fil-A. Yes, Lord, I will go. Okay. Now, the Lord may just show up in my bedroom as I'm stirring and say, Daniel, get up and go to Chick-fil-A. I have someone for you to meet, right? That, that could happen. It hasn't happened to me a lot that way, but let's say it could, all right? The other thing the Lord might do is all of a sudden I wake up and I'm thinking about a chicken biscuit. And the thought gets strong. And who knows, maybe it's the Spirit speaking. Okay, maybe not, but maybe it is. And let's say I can't shake this idea of a chicken biscuit, so I get up, get dressed, get in the car, and pray that it's not Sunday so that they're open, all right? And, and I get there, and I'm, I'm, all I'm thinking about at this point is my chicken biscuit. And then all of a sudden, I notice the man in line behind me with tears in his eyes, and the Lord says, you need to speak to this guy. And a conversation, you know, develops, and I get to pray for this guy. All of that could happen through this idea of foreknown effectual persuasion. The Lord knows each of us intimately. He knows how to move us and position us in exactly the places he wants us to be, to meet the people he wants us to meet, to be his hands and his feet to the world around us. Does that make sense? Okay, so you need to understand this idea because what I'm about to say makes no sense, especially for those who have been to Southeast Asia. So we're there. Uh, Southeast Asia is hot. It's humid, and you sweat nonstop, 
All right, those who have been there will remember that. I struggle sometimes to find a dry piece of clothing. Just go ahead and paint that picture in your mind, soaking wet, just dripping. And after one of these days of being out visiting uh, an organization, we were hot, we were sweaty, and we came back. And as we got back to the hotel, one of the three of us, I don't remember which one, said, hey, why don't we go sit in the steam room? That doesn't make sense, right? But for some reason, it seemed like a good idea to all of us, even though Cambodia is pretty much a steam room, all right? And and so we go, and we sit in the steam room, and just as we're thinking, why are we doing this? Uh, The door opens, and that's when we met Samson. He comes in, and he sits down, and and through the the haze and the fog, uh, we kind of introduce ourselves, and he says, hey, are you guys Christians? Like, yes, we are. And it's really uh, rare to be a Christian in Cambodia. And so he was delighted to tell us that he's also a Christian. And I was surprised a little bit. So I said, tell me your story. How did you, how did you come to know Christ? And he told me about his English teacher uh, who had come to Cambodia as a missionary uh, but taught English. And his teacher had told him about this man named Jesus uh, who was God who came and, and kind of shared the whole gospel story with him. And he listened and he was interested. But to be Cambodian is to be Buddhist. And so he didn't pay too much attention. Then one night uh, he was laying in his bed when he was violently attacked by demonic forces. If you're not sure what you believe about demons, just take a little trip to Africa or Asia. You're going to find out it's real. Okay, these demonic forces are attacking him. And he said he cried out to Buddha and nothing happened. And then he cried out to his ancestors and still there was no response. And then suddenly his mind went to this man Jesus that his English teacher told him about. So he cried out to Jesus and he said instantly the, de- the demons left him alone. And the very next day, he called his English teacher and said, how can I become a follower of Jesus? He's now working for a Christian NGO in Cambodia, and he's uh, part of a church that goes out and evangelizes uh, every single Saturday morning. And it was cool to see how God was at work in his life. And that's when I'm reminded of of what the scripture teaches in Romans 2.4, right? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, And again, in John 6, verse 44, no man can come to Christ unless the Father draws him. And I could see how God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were drawing him into the kingdom. And he eventually had an experience that transformed his life, and he gave his heart to Christ and began following him. Right? It's the Spirit's work in us. It's the Spirit's work through us that enables us to live lives of holiness and to do the things that he calls us to do. Okay, so this morning, I want to just draw out from the passage uh, that Terry read three keys about how the Holy Spirit works in our life. Okay, I'm going to give you the overview, and then we'll walk through each one, one by one. And you'll notice, once again, that all of my points have a C in them, which makes them holy, okay? So number one, the Holy Spirit convicts us, right, of sin. As I said, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, The Holy Spirit, that that has to deal with repentance, right? And whether that's the repentance when we first become followers of Jesus or the ongoing work of repentance in the believer's life as the Holy Spirit brings conviction and leads us to live a holy life. Then there's also uh, the Holy Spirit convinces us of righteousness, not because of how good we are, but because of how good he is. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. It's an imputed righteousness. It's righteousness that Christ gives us. The Holy Spirit will convince us that this righteousness is ours, and that is so important. And finally, the Holy Spirit gives us confidence. 
that we walk and triumph over the enemy. Because the Spirit came, John 16, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It tells us that the prince of this world already stands condemned. Uh, that means we win. Right? Ultimately, we are going to walk in victory over the enemy, and it doesn't have to wait just for eternity. We have victory now, right, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So as you can see, this passage is packed. We're going to try to hit each of these uh, quickly and hopefully try to do them justice. Okay, so the first one, conviction of sin. What is sin? The Bible defines sin, if you look in the Greek, uh, it, it basically means missing the mark. Anytime we miss the mark, uh, that is God's standard for us. It is defined as sin. All right, and what is God's standard for us? Matthew 5, verse 48 says, Be ye perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. So it's a pretty low bar. Right? Just be perfect. That's all we have to do. Right? How many of you have that on your to-do list when you wake up? Today's list of things to do. Oh, yes, be perfect. Thank God for grace, right? Okay, but that's the standard, and anytime we miss the mark God has for us, it's defined as sin. And so we need to be aware of that. Um, and, and sin is so real, so powerful in Hebrews. I want us to look at this passage because it's so important. It draws out um, uh, some very interesting things about sin that I think would be helpful for us to be aware of. Because the reality is that sin, one of the side effects of sin is it hardens our heart. All right? It deceives us. And we need to be careful, even after we've given our hearts and lives to Christ, we still have to wage war against sin. We still have to battle against the sin that tries to drift back into our lives. So here's what the author said uh, to the Hebrew people who were scattered. Verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, just a side note, God still speaks today. In case you didn't know that, it's real. Okay. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was very angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Then he says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that, none of you, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original conviction. We hold it firmly to the end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So part of what sin does in our life is it begins to harden our heart if we ignore it. But the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, is in us. And when we're getting off path, when we're getting off course, the Holy Spirit pricks our conscience. And that is supposed to lead us to repentance. But if we ignore that nudging of the Holy Spirit, we can slowly harden our heart, and then sin begins to lead us very far off course. So we need to recognize when sin is at the door and deal with it immediately. The scripture simply teaches, repent, ask for forgiveness, and begin moving in a different direction. Okay, let's not harden our hearts. Let's be aware. Because here's the deal. We know this is true. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. 
It starts off innocently flirting with some level of temptation, and next thing you know, you're asking yourself, how did I get here? How did I drift this far? It's because that's what sin does. It deceives, and it hardens your heart so that it takes you off course, and it keeps you longer than you want to stay. It costs you more than you want to pay. It takes you further than you want to go. Okay? We need to be aware of that. But he who is in us is greater than he who's in the world. And I was so convinced uh, and just realized the, the depth of human depravity while I was in the Philippines. Uh, while we were there, we were working with an organization called Wipe Every Tear. And they are working to restore and rescue young girls who have been trafficked. And we went one day down to this place called Walking Street in Angela City. And this is where um, the kind of the red light district is. And we're walking through this street during the day, and it looks like a normal street. But when you come back at night, this place is transformed into a den of darkness. There's depravity and debauchery all around. And one of the things we did is we decided uh, to prayer walk before we went and did ministry. And then we took meals uh, to the girls who had been trafficked, the girls who had been tricked, the girls who were working in the bars. We took them dinner. And we went into the bars. We had about 100 meals, and we gave, we gave uh, meals away. And on the meal was a little advertisement for this organization, Wipe Every Tear, which has a base right around the corner from the red light district, inviting those girls to stop by any time for information on how they can get free. It's a really powerful thing. And then later that night, we came back and actually went into the bars and, and did some ministry. And it was, it was so intense. I don't have time to go into all the stories, but walking into that place, seeing these men coming and going and taking these girls, uh, you just recognize the, the depth of darkness, the depth of sin. And while I'm sitting there, it's easy, right? It's easy to be overwhelmed by the darkness. But then I'm reminded that all it takes is the Holy Spirit moving in this place. And in an instant, everything can change. Everything can change. Not because of our might or our effort or our power, but because of the Spirit, right? Zechariah 4.6, it's not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit was at work in that place, and we would have conversations with several ladies and offer them a way out. And it was a powerful, uh, powerful time. And I just recognized that the, if we don't watch sin, this is where it leads, right? It leads to utter brokenness and darkness and deception. So we have to be aware of that. And also, we can't be discouraged because the light of the world is so much stronger than the darkness of the world, Right? The Holy Spirit can come in that moment and do incredible things. And so while we need to be aware of the drift towards sin, we also need to recognize that sin no longer defines us, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are not defined by your sin. You are defined by your Savior, okay? Too often we self-identify with our sin, with our struggle. We say, I am this, I am that, and we speak lies over ourselves. But God has done something in our lives that should change that. And that's why the second role of the Holy Spirit we see in this passage is not just conviction of sin, but he wants to convince us of our righteousness. And that's so important that we understand who we are, because I believe many of us in the church today are in the midst of a massive identity crisis. At a very fundamental level, we believe a lie about who we are. We're going to look at a quick video from, uh, how many of you have seen the movie Ice Age 2? Right? So if, if you haven't, the, here's the problem. This mammoth goes on a quest to try to find other mammoths because it's believed that mammoths are extinct. And they encounter a mammoth you'll recognize, and she believes a lie about who she is. And watch how that lie affects the way that she lives. Check it out. All right, so 
Here's this mammoth that fundamentally believes something about her identity. She believes that she's a possum, right? Therefore, what does she do? She, she behaves like a possum. She acts like a possum. She climbs trees. She tries to hide under rocks. She's afraid of birds that might carry her off. And in the same way, when I first saw this clip, it hit me. So many of us in the church believe a similar lie about who we are. And therefore, we live a life inconsistent with what Jesus has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. What do I mean? So often, uh, you might hear this. Maybe you've said this before. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but it's probably most of us. How many of you have, have said this slogan? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Right? In, in some ways, we think it's an expression of humility. In some ways, it's recognizing our human depravity. And we say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But if I could present to you this morning, can I just tell you that's a lie? You're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner who was saved by grace, but now you have a new identity, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, all right? If anyone is in Christ, in Christ, he is new, all right? That means that sin no longer defines the essence of who you are. How many of you know when the Bible repeats something, you should pay attention, right? It's important. How many of you know how the New Testament refers to believers in the church? What is the, what is the one word the New Testament used to describe us over and over again? I'll give you a hint. It starts with a s and ends with an ain't. Saints, yes. You guys are sharp, right? Saints, we are saying 63 times, 63, the New Testament refers to believers as saints. And that's not to deny the fact that occasionally we sin, but we need to recognize that sin no longer defines us. We are not a sinner, we are saints, we are new creations. Paul said it this way, he explains it in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, if anyone is, again, here's that word, in Christ, I'm sorry, that's the wrong verse, God made him who had no sin, talking about Jesus, to be sin, to become sin for you, so that in him, there's that phrase, in him, in Christ, you might become the righteousness of God. That matters, Okay. So let me illustrate it for you this way. I have here this little Russian doll set uh, from Kiev, Ukraine, and it's of the Miami Dolphins. So when I saw it, I knew I had to have it, all right? Can we just say it's been a painful year and I may need counseling as a Dolphins fan? But here's the deal. Now, this is not to scale, so don't get get all upset, all right? But the little guy in the middle is you, all right? Right here on the end, this is the Holy Spirit, and Dan Marino is Christ, not literally, just, just for the illustration, okay? So this is you before you meet Christ, right? The Bible tells us that we were full of, of death, that we were by nature objects of wrath before we knew Christ, that death reigned in our bodies, and we were, we were empty inside, right? There's, there's nothing there. We're empty inside. And then all of a sudden we have an encounter uh, led by the Holy Spirit where we give our hearts and our lives to Christ. And then what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? He comes to what? To dwell in you, right? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So once you become a believer, the Holy Spirit is now inside of you. And if you listen, you can hear him. Okay. He's in there. He wants to rattle around and make some noise in your life, but you got to pay attention. All right. And not only is the, is the Holy Spirit in you, but the Bible tells us repeatedly that we are 
in Christ, right? Multiple times we are in Christ. So when God looks at our life, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is what he sees, okay? Not a Russian doll, but the righteousness of Christ. Paul says in Romans 13 that you have been clothed with Christ, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God in Colossians 3. So this is this brand new work that's happened in us. The Holy Spirit is in us, and we are in Christ, Okay, this is who you are. You are a saint. You have a brand new identity. You are not the same person you once were. Everything has changed because of him and what he's done for you. All right? Yes, amen. I feel that. Thank you. Let's let's think about it this way. Let's say that um, like a butterfly flies into the room. And I know that, let's say, Ash is a big fan of butterflies. Okay, so I know she wants to see this butterfly. It looks like its wings have been painted by the hand of God himself. So I quickly rush into the atrium uh, after service. Say, hey, Ash, quick, quick. You got to come see this caterpillar that's been transformed through a process known as metamorphosis. It doesn't make sense, right? It's a new thing. It's It's a butterfly. What is a butterfly? Well, it was a caterpillar that was transformed through a process known as metamorphosis. But you don't call it that. There's a new identity. It's now a butterfly. In the same way, I think it's just as silly to say I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner who was saved by grace, but now I have a new identity, and the Holy Spirit wants to convince you that that's real. Because when you see yourself for who you really are in Christ, you have power to begin walking in alignment with the truth of what God has already done right, in your life. You can begin to live a righteous, holy life because that is who you are. Sin is now foreign. It's not your essence, right? And so I believe if we would allow the Holy Spirit to convince us of our righteousness, we would need to be convicted of sin less and less, right? Because we would live more in line with the truth of who we already are. Does that make sense? So we need to let the Holy Spirit convince us of our righteousness. That's one of the things this passage outlines. And the final one is that we can have confidence, right, in our triumph over the enemy. We can have confidence because the Bible told us in John 16, Right, that the enemy of this world, the prince of this world, now stands condemned. He is through. And there's still a war that rages, but we walk in the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. We can walk in victory over the enemy in our lives. Right? We can have that confidence knowing that the Spirit in us, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, now lives in you. It's part of who you are. It's part of your new identity as a new creation. When I was in uh, Angela City walking through the red light district in this bar, I was just overwhelmed, like I said, by the, by the darkness. And we had about an hour, hour and a half of worship before we went out to do bar ministry just to kind of, you know, uh, prepare our hearts. And we sang this song called Surrounded about how we fight our battles. And one of the lines in that song says, it may look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you. And as I was standing in the midst of that darkness, I felt surrounded by evil. I felt surrounded by sin, by depravity, by debauchery, by disease. And I had to remind myself that, yes, while that's true, while it looks like I'm surrounded by all those things, what's equally true and more significant is I'm surrounded by you because the Holy Spirit lives in me and wants to work in and through me. I'm surrounded by the presence of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the peace of the Holy Spirit. And because of that truth, I can walk into the thickest darkness and be confident that my God 
is with me. I don't need to be afraid of the dark because he's called me, he's called you to be the light, right? To go boldly into those places carrying the hope of the gospel. Okay, that's part of what we are called to do. So when you feel surrounded, remind yourselves that you're surrounded by him. That he is with you. That he is for you. Isaiah 54 says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. In Isaiah 59 it says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will lift up a standard against him. 1 John 4 tells us, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Romans 8 tells us there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, right? This is truth. This is the word of God. This is something we can stand on and recognize that we have confidence, not in ourselves, but in the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And he is greater. He is greater, and he wants to empower us and enable us to live lives of holiness and righteousness in the midst of the darkness, While I was there, I kept thinking of this C.T. Studd quote that says, Many wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I want to set up a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And that's part of what we're trying to do as a church is is go to the, the places where there's great darkness and bring light and hope and the truth of the gospel. If you're interested in going to the Philippines, we're taking a team next summer, June 1st to 11th, that will go into the bars and help rescue some of these girls who have been tricked. It's going to be a a crazy trip. It's going to be intense. But if you're interested, we do have a meeting on November 17th about that. But it's not about just going to the other side of the world. It's recognizing that the Holy Spirit is in you right now, right here, today. And he wants to work in you, and he wants to work through you to bring conviction of sin to convince you of your righteousness and to remind you of the confidence we now have that the enemy will be defeated. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the truth of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you for the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. And Lord, we just ask that you would make us painfully aware of the Spirit's presence in our life. It's so easy to get distracted with all the things we have to do, but Lord, we pray that you would remind us that we are now indwelt by the powerful Holy Spirit. And as we move forward, would you convict us of sin? Would you convince us of righteousness? Would you remind us that we can walk in victory? Whatever we're facing today, whatever we're going through, as we worship together with this last song, would you remind us, Spirit, that you are for us, you are with us. Would you enable us to fight the battles in our life with confidence that comes through your spirit alone. Convince us today, I pray, of our righteousness. Convict us of our sin. Would you meet with us in this moment and minister to our hearts, I pray. Amen.